Are you excited to be here today? Do you believe God is with you? Because God is good and all the time. My name is John and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here. And I want to say good morning. Thank you for being here uh, today. I want to invite you to find your way to Esther. Right, Esther, we are in this series entitled Pathway uh, to Purpose. If you are um, on a digital device and you've got your YouVersion Bible app, if you go under um, More on the bottom, click More, and then you can find Events, and you'll find all the notes from today's message there on uh, the YouVersion uh, Bible app. But I just want to say, wasn't last Sunday, Friend Day, awesome? Could we just praise the Lord and celebrate what God did? We had... Over 800, we had 10 people get baptized. Isn't that awesome? Uh, best I could count, 15 or 20 that raised their hand that they gave their life to Christ. That's the best part, right? We can celebrate people coming to Christ. And so thank you. Thank you to all of you who are working. Many of you were serving and we had extra people in kids ministry. And just wanna say thank you to all of you who did a lot of extra work and, and preparing and getting everything ready. And it was awesome. It was also awesome. I heard awesome. I heard several people giving reports about uh, their one. So we've been praying all year uh, for your one. If you're new, uh, what this represents is the white ping pong balls represent someone we are praying for who maybe is far from the Lord or doesn't know the Lord to come back to God. And so uh, at the first month of the year, we started praying Luke 15, 4. Many people put white ping pong balls in there. The green is when we've had gospel conversations. It's usually in the back. People, I love watching people come in on Sunday morning and put a new green ping pong ball. Uh, the orange represents when somebody gives their life to Christ. And then we got to see last week 10 people grab one of the blue ping pong balls and put in that they publicly stating that they're following Jesus. That was awesome. And, I, and so I heard several of you say that the one person you've been praying for came last week. Isn't that great? Uh, so good. So keep praying, keep inviting, and uh, keep sharing Jesus. And, and many, I was shocked that every, all 200 books that we had available in the 32-day journey, Searching for Wisdom and Proverbs, everyone took those. I've been some of you have been reading online, and so I hope that you're staying up on just walking and searching for wisdom through the book of Proverbs. So we are in this series entitled Pathway to Purpose. And, and so maybe you were, you were serving last week or you weren't able to be here last week. Let me just give you a quick context of the book of Esther. So the setting is really between Ezra and Nehemiah, about 100 years after uh, the, the Babylonians conquered the Israelites. And now it's the Persians who have conquered the Babylonians. And so Esther finds herself in Persia. And in this setting, we are really confronted with four characters throughout the book. Two of them are Jewish. All right, one is Mordecai. And depending on which translation you use, it's Mordecai is either the cousin of Esther or the uncle of Esther. Either way, he is a close relative of Esther. Esther is also Jewish. She's an orphan girl who Mordecai adopts. And, and the scripture says it was as if it was her, his own daughter. We're also introduced into the king of Persia. Ahasuerus is one way his name is mentioned and also known as Xerxes. Then we're mentioned or we're introduced to the, the villain of the story, right? The villain of the story is Haman. We're going to learn a little bit about him. 
What's interesting about, I should say, one of the interesting facts about the book of Esther is it's one of two books in the Bible that does not mention the name of God. Like we just sang Yahweh, the name of Lord. It's not mentioned in here. There's a lot of debate on why that is. I would land on the fact that I believe that the author, for whatever reason, inspired by God, decided that he wanted us to see God working even when we don't see God working. Have you ever experienced that? Like, and so what we pointed out, so we're gonna, I'm going to give you the outline from last week, just kind of a way of review. Uh, last week was kind of an overview of the book of Esther. There's three really ideas, three thoughts. The first is this question posed in the book of Esther. The question is about God's presence. And we, we made this statement about the presence of God, that even when we don't see God, he is working. Do you believe that? Hmm. Do you really believe that? All right, there we go. The second one, the big idea of the book of Esther is really the idea of God's providence, that God is sovereign, that God is good. And we ask these three questions. So I'm gonna ask them again, and you can answer out loud. Do you believe God is good? Okay. Do you believe God is in control? Okay, that speaks to the providence of God, that a good God is in control. This speaks to our response to the providence of God. This third question may be a little more difficult. You're welcome to yell out the answer. Will you choose to trust him until he proves it? How many of you would be really transparent today and say, I want to say yes, I believe I'll say yes, but sometimes it's hard to say yes. And it's easy when you're not going through the middle of something. When everything's good, yes, God is good and he's in control and I trust him. It's when life gets difficult and it's not how we plan that this third question becomes a faith question. Do I still believe that even though my circumstances aren't good, then I don't see God working, that God is good and God is in control. I'm gonna trust him until he proves it. The third is the big deal, God's plan. And here's what we see throughout scripture. The Bible is a story of God redeeming mankind back to himself. And we're gonna see that in the story as it plays out again today. So let me give you a quick overview. I found these uh, alliterated outline of the book of Esther. So I'm gonna give them to you. It's gonna be a lot of information. So if you're online, you can see that on the original Bible app, or you may just want to take your phone out and take a picture of the screen. Chapter one, all right, I titled this Persians Gone Wild, okay? Okay, if you're laughing, you probably watch shows you shouldn't have, but no, we won't talk about that. And the fact that I know that maybe says something too, I don't know. Wealth displayed, wishes defied, wife dismissed. That was chapter one. Chapter two, a queen is chosen, right? There's the beauty pageant. There's the, the queen pursued, the queen presented, and the king preserved. We didn't have time, and we're not going to take time today. The last few verses of chapter 2, go back and read that, because it's going to come back up as we continue this series about the providence of God. It seems like this just story that quickly is told that Mordecai saves the life of Xerxes the king, and... It's written in the book of Chronicles, and there's this one phrase at the end of the chapter 2 that says, and the king was watching. The king saw them write this story in the book of the Chronicles. And that's going to come back 
later in the story, and we're going to point to the providence of God. All right, so Esther chapter 3. We're going to, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, all right? So hold on. Let me get my glasses out. I'm of that age now. You shouldn't be laughing. After these things, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set him seat above all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Similar, it seems like, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were not going to worship the false idols. We even sang about that this morning. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them. They told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Like, in other words, it wasn't just enough for him to get revenge on Mordecai. Instead, it says, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. All the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Xerxes, of Ahasuerus, excuse me, they cast Pur. All right, this is the idea when we were introduced in the book of Jonah, right? They cast lots. They would cast the dice and whatever number came up. And so they cast lots before Haman, determined the day of the month until fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you. Do with them as seems good to you. Verse 12, then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the month, and the decree was written according to all that Haman commanded the king's satraps and the governors who were in each province to the officials of all the people, to every province according to the script. Every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Verse 13, the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's providence to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all the people that they should be ready for that day. The courage went out, hastened by the king's command, and decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. And, and so what, what has taken place? Let me give you just the quick, like, quick outline of it, and then we'll, let's talk through it. So chapter 3, it's like the, the villain, Haman, he schemes. So we have three thoughts. Promotion established, that's what the first part of the chapter is. The power is enforced, the plot enacted. 
And it's interesting as we think about this story. Why does Haman hate Mordecai so much? It's not, it seems like there has to be more than just this one random guy wouldn't pay homage to him. It seems like from the, the personality that Haman has, he's, you know, a little bit proud of himself. We're going to see that a little more in the story. He's filled with pride. He's filled with himself. And I, I'm not sure that it really even caught his attention that one man didn't bow. But when he finds out this man doesn't bow and he finds out he is a Jew, why is it so suddenly that he wants to destroy the Jews? And we read in chapter 3 of verse number 1 that Haman was an Agagite. What's interesting about that is that there is no people group called the Agagites. All right? The only time we hear where what we can reference back to is in Samuel. Remember uh, when Saul, the king of Israel, was to destroy the Amalekites, what was the name of the king of the Amalekites but King Agag? And it seems as if this uh, title, an Agagite, is more a reference of royalty and a title of kingship for the people of the Amalekites. So here we have years later, what was, Saul, what was Saul, King Saul supposed to have done? He was supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekite people. And remember, he did not walk in obedience. He did not kill all of them as God had commanded him. And here we are many years later dealing with the failure of King Saul to kill all the Amalekites, the enemy of the nation of Israel. What's also interesting to note is that we read earlier that Haman is related to Kish, and he's a Benjamite, who also had a father named Kish who was a Benjamite. Anybody know their Old Testament history? King Saul. So here we have seemingly direct descendants of King Agag, and direct descendants of King Saul playing out in the story of Esther. Now maybe it makes a little more sense as to why when Haman finds out that this Jewish man, a Benjamite, related years ago to King Saul, who killed King Agag and Amalekite. Do you understand the, the hatred that may have boiled in him to destroy the nation of Israel. But it goes much more deeper than just a family feud for several hundred years. Remember what we said last, last week in Genesis chapter number three. Here's really the root cause of the hatred for the, name, for, for the Jewish nation. Genesis 3 verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, this is after the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve, and he says, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his hill. And here God reveals to Satan that one day the Messiah will come from the Jewish people. And from that point on, God's plan of saving the nation that would birth the Messiah. And from that time on, Satan would be on a terror to destroy 
the nation that would birth the Messiah. It's much deeper than just a family feud. It is a spiritual battle. So in this spiritual battle up to this point, we're, we're kind of in that situation where we've asked, we've asked the question, right? Is God good? Is God in control? And will I trust him until he proves it? And here we find ourselves at the end of chapter three in one of those periods of time in our life where we believe that God is good, we believe that God is in control, but it sure doesn't feel like it. It sure seems like I mean, it's just gone out to all the provinces. The nation of Israel would have been one of those provinces that, that on this day, the 13th day, I think it was, of the 12th month, all the Jews will be annihilated. Interesting how it ends the chapter, and the place was perplexed. All of the Jews are going to be destroyed, and if you were a Jewish person, how would you have responded when the news comes to your province. Well, let's pick up the story in chapter four and I'll give you the quick outline if you're taking notes. God's providential plan, a people distressed, a predicament described and a purpose determined. Let's look at Esther chapter four. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And again, as you see in the Old Testament, this is a sign of mourning. And he went out to the midst of the city, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth, right? We can't be in the presence of the king in mourning. Verse 3, in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4, so Esther's maids and eunuchs came in and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. It seems like what we see in the next following verses, what they told her was that Mordecai was weeping in the streets and the Jewish people were weeping and wailing in the streets with sackcloth and ashes and mourning. And it doesn't seem from the text as we continue reading that she knows why. So she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, right? So she wants to dress him so that she can have a conversation with him and he can enter into the king's palace. But he would not accept them. Verse 5, then Esther called uh, Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs from, from whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai. All right? So she's sending a mediator to go out and a messenger to say, I, I want you to go find out from Mordecai. Learn why this is. Why are they mourning? Verse 6, so Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square and was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the sum of the money. And Haman was promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for the destruction, which was given in, in Shushan, that he might know it to Esther and explain it to her. So he tells the messenger, here's what the decree of, of the king is. And all of Israel is going to be destroyed. Of course we're weeping. Of course we're wailing. Of course we're sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And, and he not only gives the information to Esther, but then he gives the information with a commission or a command, with a request. And here is the request. We're in verse uh, number 8. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go into the king. And here it is. Make supplication to him. Plead before him 
for her people. And remember, up to this point, Mordecai has told Esther, do not tell anyone who you are. Don't tell them you're a Jew. But now when it's critical, when the, the nation of Israel is about to be annihilated, about to be destroyed, her, his request is go tell the king. Make a supplication, make a request, plead, beg, whatever you have to do to save your people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Verse number 10, then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command from Mordecai. So she sends a message back. And I wonder what her response is. So let's make sure we're clear. The nation of Israel, there's a decree on the 12th month. They're going to be destroyed. Mordecai sends message to Esther, the Jewish queen who has not told her Persian king that she's a Jew. It's time to tell him you're a Jew and plead for your people. And what's her response? Verse 11 all the king's servants and people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law. What does it say? Put all to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live Yet, I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. And I wonder, Esther is now posed with the question we've been asking. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is in control? And will you trust him until he proves it? And here's the faith step she has to take. And what is her response? Her response is, Mordecai, you don't know what you're asking I was an orphan girl, a Jewish orphan girl. I'm now the queen of Persia, and, and it's pretty comfortable here. My life's pretty good. Do you realize what's at risk? Do you realize what's at stake? That if I go into the king and he does not want me in his presence, if he's in a bad mood, and ladies, we know that your husbands can just for any reason be in a mad, bad mood, right? All right. Thank you, Sherry. You got one? I'm going to give you another chance. Ladies, you know that sometimes your husbands don't have a real reason. They're just in a bad mood, right? Okay, okay. No, we're not going to say that one. When, when, I, when I pause for a moment and just kind of dive into verse 11, sometimes I, I think potentially it's a picture of the church in America today. That we're really comfortable. We got it pretty good. Wow, I know there's a lot of people that need Jesus, but do you realize what you're asking me to do? Do you realize the risk? What I might lose, my reputation, We got really quiet in here. So without placing yourself on the hot seat, would you just simply agree with me that, yeah, maybe that is the American church at times. Would you just nod your head? Okay. 
And now, as you nod your head, realize you are the American church. I are the American church. And in our moments of fear, we have a choice. Let the fear overtake us or place our faith in the God that we say is good, is in control. But we see this honest answer from Esther. I'm not sure about this, Uncle Mort. I don't know if what you're asking. Well, let's keep reading. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do you think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? What a question. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. So it seems as if Mordecai has this understanding of faith that he realizes Yahweh, God, the creator, has made a covenant with his people that he will protect his people. And he realizes that whether Esther stands in the gap, whether Esther makes the decision to go in and beg the king for freedom of the Jewish people, that God somehow, some way is going to provide provision. God is somehow, some way going to protect the nation of Israel. But he also kind of throws the caveat, you are there, don't think that you're going to be spared. And then probably one of the most iconic quoted verses in the Bible. In fact, Google it sometime. There's a lot of books with this title. Verse number 14, let's read it again. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Is it possible, Esther, that God has you in this position to fulfill his purpose and his plan? The question I have for you this morning is the same. Is it possible that where God has you right now, where he has positioned you, that he wants to use you to fulfill his purpose and his plan? You see, when Esther, as we learn next week, goes in and becomes little our redeemer of the nation of Israel, she's a picture of capital R redeemer, Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that we have the rest of the story? But I want us to, to rest in this thought for a moment. Is it possible that the school you attend or the team that you're on or the mom's playgroup that you're in or the work you have, the neighborhood you're in, is it possible that God has positioned you there as Mordecai stated, for such a time as this. And that you must be willing to take a risk to say, God, I don't think you understand what's at risk. Does God understand? He does. And then we're faced with the question, God is good and God is control, but will I trust him until he proves it? I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, we have some of our high school students uh, in Hallmark, Hallmark Student Ministry that have started Bible clubs at their church in, in Burleson. They've seen people get saved. And, and in a, what I would consider a dark place 
a local public high school, that we have students willing enough and bold enough to say, I'm gonna start a Bible club. In fact, one of them fought a lot of opposition and had to get all these signatures just to say, well, if so-and-so's club can meet, then we can have a Bible club. And they won, and they got to have the Bible club. And last, yeah, you can, you can clap for that. And last, last year they had a, a bunch of kids saved in the public high school because kids in this church decided that they were positioned there because God wanted to use them to fulfill his plan and his purpose. And what about you? And I think you, you've seen again, there's another uprising of revival taking place on college campuses. This week, I, I, wanna, I wanna show you two short videos of uh, professional athletes, quarterbacks, and, and how they are believing that God has them positioned to fulfill a purpose and a plan. So watch these two videos. Isn't that awesome? Very cool. Next one is, is a young man who's 21 years old, uh, CJ Stroud. Isn't that awesome? He's 21. I think he'll be 22 uh, Tuesday. Rookie quarterback in the NFL. And they've figured out that God has given them a platform for his purpose and his plan. And I, I think that I need to figure that out sometimes. And I think maybe you need to figure that out sometimes. That God has a plan and a purpose for you. And Esther... Let's skip to the last, I think it's the second to the last verse. 
Verse 15, then Esther told them to, to reply to Mordecai. Verse 16, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. Fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My mage and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. What does she say? If I perish, I perish. Esther had verse 11, I don't know if you know what you're asking me. And at some point between 11 and 16, she must have a moment with God and says, maybe, maybe my uncle's right. Maybe I'm in this position because God has a plan and a purpose he wants to fulfill through me. What would it be like if you and I lived that way? What would it be like if we were willing to risk to get out of our comfort zone and say, God, whatever you want. God, I want to be used. God, I, I want to, if I perish, I perish. Maybe think of the, the story of William Borden. William Borden was uh, born in 1887, and he was born into a very rich family. You may have heard of Borden Dairy, right? This was to be the heir. And at the age of 16, his family, after graduating from high school, sent him on a tour around the world. And while he was on this tour around the world, William saw people in need. William saw people who needed Jesus. And William, on this trip, as a 16-year-old young man, decided that he was going to surrender his life to be a missionary. He was going to forsake the family inheritance, and he was going to go to China to work with Arabic-speaking people. It's reported that at the age of 16, while on this mission or on this trip, he writes in the leaf of his Bible, no reserves. In other words, I'm, I'm giving it all up. Comes back, he goes to Yale, studies, then goes to Princeton and go to seminary. And all during this time, he starts Bible clubs and he helps homeless people and just living his life on mission. His parents plead with him not to go be a missionary. Take over the family business. You, you're throwing away your life. You're wasting your life. And after receiving a letter from his father, it's reported that he wrote two more words in his Bible. No retreats. I can't give up the mission of what God has called me to do. No reserve. No retreats. Well, he makes it to Egypt to study Arabic. And within a month, he contracts meningitis and dies at the age of 25. And people question, was it really worth it? And when they found his Bible, there was a third statement. No regrets. And when he stood before the Lord, guess what? He had no regrets. And I guess my challenge is, is fairly simple for you today. 
because it's a challenge to me that I would live my life for such a time as this, that I would live my life with this statement, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. God, whatever you want, I'm in. So last question I have for you. It's pretty simple. Will you take a risk for the sake of the gospel? The gospel came to you on the way to someone else. And will you share it? Will you pray with me? God, I pray this morning that we would be a people like Esther, like William, who would say, God, I'm all in. I surrender. Whatever the sacrifice, I'm in. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. God, I, I acknowledge that you have me in this position to help fulfill your purpose and your plan, and I'm willing. As is normal this morning, we're going to close with an opportunity to worship through music. The altar is open if you want to come and, and seek the Lord, and just maybe, maybe you need to make that decision today, God. I'm all in. God, whatever you want, you've, you've positioned me where you have me to help fulfill your plan and your purpose, and, and I'm in. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we worship, as we pray, as we seek God.